Six, finding what we've lost. July fourth, two thousand three. Dear Kate, maybe you were already aware, but your mom and I visited this very beach during our honeymoon. We were giddy children as we played among the tide pools and sea stacks and sun-bleached carcasses of giant Sitka spruce logs washed to sea long ago down the rivers of the Olympic rainforest. That evening we sat breathlessly on this rocky shore, fingers intertwined, as soft ocean breezes teased our hair and an amber sun sank into the vast Pacific. There were no deadlines. No mundane tasks looming over us. It was one of those rare nights when the world was pure, concentrated wonder. I remember thinking, even then, that I had not felt such a stirring for a long, long time. Truth be told, as I gaze back on that memory, the same sense of wonder would not revisit me for a long time after. What happens to us? When we are very small, it seems, there is nothing which cannot captivate us with wonder. When we are old, it seems there is nothing which can captivate with wonder. To the toddler, every leaf, every bug, every color, every game mesmerizes and fills with delight. To the grown man, a night sky with its myriad stars, or a valley surrounded by cathedral mountains, has only the meagerest chance of accomplishing the same. Even what we adults obsess over and claim to love, whether sports or spouse or hobbies or music, very infrequently sows and grows within us the same sense of thrilling wonder which we can hardly escape as children. When does it slip away? Where do we go wrong during the course of our lives that we lose something as precious as wonder? Perhaps some can point to a specific instance or source of trauma as their reason, but in the case of the average American adult, what horrible events could possibly rob us of this vital piece of our souls? After our evening on Rialto Beach, I spent many restless nights trying to wrestle down an answer. Perhaps our growing list of responsibilities chips imperceptibly away at the foundations of our wonder. Maybe countless smaller traumas and disappointments gobble it up in a billion tiny bites, termites in the framework of our spirits. In the end, though, none of the explanations I fabricated seemed satisfactory. To this day, I still don't know the answer. Our gradual loss of wonder remains, to me, an unsolvable mystery. I may not know the source of the disease, but, as far as my life is concerned, I know the medicine. The cure was you, Kate. The day you came into my world, wonder again became a part of my everyday existence, along with about a million crap-streaked diapers. While your tiny self stared for an hour, hypnotized, at something as simple as a caterpillar, I would gaze that whole time in amazement at you. Life took on a fresh flavor, as if seasoned with a never-before-tasted spice, simply because you had become a part of it. Every day I woke up, wondering what rays of sunshine and beauty you might radiate into my world. It is my hope now 
as I write this letter and bury it in the earth, that I might give back what you gave me, the gift of rediscovered wonder. I'm no psychic, but I do know life will beat you to a bloody pulp in as many ways as it can. It will break your heart. It will dangle your dreams just out of reach. It will steal and destroy pieces of your world you believed you could never live without. I'm not trying to sound pessimistic. I'm being realistic. Nobody leads a charmed life, and nobody is untouchable. In short, life can be a real dick sometimes. That is precisely the reason why a sense of wonder is so important, Kate. When life's innumerable troubles wound us, when the daily disappointments leave us deeply scarred, it is wonder which rescues us and pulls our teetering souls back from the brink. In a world where so much has gone and will go bad, it is our sense of wonder which reminds us there is even more that is bright and fresh and lovely. You just have to keep your eyes open. You must see and remember the light around you, even during, especially during, the days which appear as dark as night. In ways I would never wish upon my worst enemies, that is the lesson I've learned these past months. When I found out I was sick, fatally so, dark clouds crowded around me. More than once I was sure they would swallow me whole and leave me in despair. But you, Kate, more than anything else, are the one who kept them at bay. Even during what can only be described as the worst of times, I have not lost my sense of wonder, because my blonde, ocean-eyed little girl is with me every single day, smiling at me, laughing with me, reminding me constantly that this world is, and always will be, a wonderful, wonder-filled place. Thank you for helping me reclaim what I lost. I treasure it every waking moment. Even now, in these final hours before the sunset of my life, that wonder sustains me. Soon it will lead me into the darkness, and then beyond. Now, for you, the sun is also sinking into its watery bed at the end of its long day. Unless you're a rebellious daughter who decided not to read this at sunset, as per my instructions. It also means evening is falling on this particular leg of your travels. You've successfully found five of my letters. Only two remain. As you put the final pieces of my puzzle into place, I pray that the completed picture will plant the seed of wonder in your heart. Growing, then blossoming there, may it never die. I love you now and always. Dad. Take some time now to recharge and regroup. Go and see your mom. Remind her how much I love her, how much I always will. Then, when you're ready, make your way to the town of Lucca in Italy. This Tuscan city is one of the few remaining, which still has its Renaissance-era wall encircling it. Once there, head north beyond the wall along the Via Per Camaiore, you will come before too long to a narrow bridge. Across it, on either side of the road, you should see two small farms, 
each with a waist-high wall of stone. Scour the wall on the west side of the road for a stone unlike the rest. It is an almost perfect circle, its color the deep purple of a rich Italian wine. Directly above that stone is the letter, sealed behind a plain gray rock that the years have jarred loose from its mortar. I realize this might be a tall order to fill. I realize that I stole this idea from one of my all-time favorite movies. And I also realize this scavenger hunt probably hasn't always been the easiest. Keep heart, though, and march on toward the end. Everything will be worth it then. And if you really need a handicap, you can cheat with the GPS coordinates on the back of this page. June 30th, 2023. Dear Dad, Sorry I haven't written you over the last couple days. There were a handful of occasions when I pulled journal and pen from my backpack, but for some reason I couldn't do it. My heart, and therefore my words, have felt so blocked. It's as if the business with Franco has clogged my emotional arteries so that nothing can flow through and out of me. In your letter, you told me to keep a grasp on wonder. But wonder is dead. I know it isn't your fault. I shouldn't have pinned the blame on you for everything that happened in Alaska. Life just sucks right now. That's all. I was looking for an outlet, and you were the easiest target. I had come to believe, even in such a short time, that Franco was the one for me. He made my heart sing a song I had never before known. Even after my many months with Andrew, I did not truly see myself with him beyond the present. Franco, on the other hand, I wanted him at my side a hundred years from now, and there wasn't a whisper of doubt about it. That was what Andrew must have seen in me, what I failed to see in him. Now I see it in Franco, but he cannot see it in me. My, how the tables have turned. I suppose everyone has to face these kinds of setbacks in life. Mom certainly has, and to far worse degrees than me. But her life isn't shrouded in despair. Neither will mine. I'll bounce back. I'll be whole again. But at the moment, everything just plain sucks. My flight to Denver leaves the day after tomorrow. I'll spend a couple weeks there until after Sam's wedding. Sam Gooding, that is. I'm sure you remember him. His parents are still pretty close with Mom. Anyway, I told Mom back in February that I'd go to the wedding, but I'm not exactly looking forward to it. The Murphy clan is bound to attend as well, and that means there's a good chance Andrew will be there with his medal-winning woman. Sure puts a whole new spin on the phrase trophy wife. Barf. Plus, Mom has informed me that Gary is going. I mean, I'm happy for her, of course. It'll just be a lot of love thrown in my face all at once. In the meantime, I'll distract myself planning the trip to Luca. I've always wanted to go to Italy, even before you sent me zigzagging across the planet. Now I have an undeniable reason to pull the trigger, so I can at least thank you for that. Not sure how much writing I'll do between now and then. I think I might need a short break from all these gushy feelings. And whenever I write to you lately, it's like I'm made of nothing but feelings. Ugh, what have I become? 
This is your fault. Because of you, I'm now a living, breathing Nicholas Sparks tragedy. Barf again. Love, your sad sap, little girl, who will hopefully quit being such a whiny little bitch soon. Kate. July 16th, 2023. Dear Dad, My favorite history teacher in high school once told a story. It was about how the misunderstanding of a single word led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. I've never researched it myself, so I can't say for sure if it's true or merely a fable, but apparently, when the United States asked for Japan's surrender during World War II, the emperor responded in Japanese, as, I'm told, emperors from Japan are prone to do. He said something like, Wait for an answer, we're discussing it. The translation given to President Truman, however, was more along the lines of, F off a-hole. Truman then responded, swiftly and severely, by dropping a pair of atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Again, I can't be sure whether or not that actually happened, or if it's nothing more than a myth conflated by time. Regardless, I found out tonight that one of my own misunderstandings also led to disaster. Granted, the magnitude of my mistake's consequences can't even begin to compare with what happened in Japan all those years ago. Yet, the result was disastrous in its own way. Before I go on, we first have to back up a couple weeks. After returning home from Washington, I was still wallowing in the emotional refuse of my broken heart. I spent way too much time in bed. Food? No thanks. Most of my waking life was spent lying languidly in front of old episodes of The Office. I tried to occupy myself with Italy plans, but I couldn't churn up the motivation to do much of anything. Mom's the one who began to haul me up from my miry funk. After the fifth or sixth night of dealing with my pathetic moping, she strolled purposely in front of my bedroom TV and switched it off. Sit up, she ordered. Her tone was sharper than anything I'd heard since the days when I was a whiny kid. I almost didn't obey in time to catch the coors she threw at my head. You know I don't like this crap, I mumbled. Tastes like piss. Watch your mouth, she snapped as she sat beside me and cracked a second can for herself. Besides, if you're ever going to make your dad proud, you better learn to like it. Silently, I opened the beer, sucked the rising foam from the top of the can, and tried not to gag. At least it was freezing cold enough to temper my taste buds. I know you don't like to talk much when something's bothering you, she said, and usually I'm fine letting you deal with stuff your own way. But I've never seen you like this before, little love. So you're going to drink that, Coors. And then this one. My beer magician mother's hand suddenly held up another can which she thrust at me. And once you're good and loosened up, you're going to spill your guts about whatever happened in Alaska. I opened my mouth to argue, but she didn't give me the chance as she stood and cut me off. Be in the kitchen in ten minutes. The first two better be done by then, because there'll be a third waiting for you. 
ten minutes later, that's where I was, lubricated by two cans of open-up juice. The story of me and Franco came pouring out of my mouth in all its tiny details, as if I were some kind of old-timey bard regaling the royal court with her epic tales. I've always been pretty tight-lipped about personal issues with Mom, especially the relationship stuff, but that evening, I talked like I was trying to get my money's worth from a therapist. When I had finally finished my woeful tale, Mom leaned back in her seat and said, I told you Alaska would be dangerous. You didn't listen. I rolled my eyes, chuckled, and replied, Yeah, whatever. It wasn't Grizzly's mom. Ignoring my counterattack, she asked, Now, doesn't that feel better? Getting all that out? Yeah, a bit, I answered meekly, unable to refrain from cracking a grin. She shook her head with wistful amusement. You and your dad, always acting like you've got to shoulder every burden all on your own. For as little as you knew him, you're a lot like him. It's kind of scary, actually. The words from your Patagonia letter flooded back to mind. That's funny, I said. Dad wrote me and told me to make sure I'm somebody who accepts support from others. He said we aren't meant to carry life all on our own. Seems a little, I don't know, hypocritical? Or maybe, Mom retorted, he was humble enough to recognize his flaws and wanted better for you. Gazing across the table at her, I expected to see the same veiled grief I'd always witnessed when she spoke of you in the past, but this time she appeared calm, untroubled, at peace. Gary, it seems, is finally helping her move on. Now I realize that's all I can do, too. Even Andrew was able to push forward after our relationship ended. And that segue, dear Dad, is how I cleverly transition you to the events of this evening and the realization of my great misunderstanding. Because, you see, it all involves Andrew and the events of this past winter. Mom, Gary, and I arrived at Sam Gooding's wedding shortly before its two o'clock kickoff. Because most of the forward pews were already sagging beneath the butts parked in them, we selected a spot near the back of the aging country church. As I glanced around, I felt certain the three of us were the final arrivals, the kids who showed up to class mere seconds before the bell rings. The only difference at a wedding is that you're stuck in the rear instead of within the teacher's spray radius. It turns out, we actually weren't the last to arrive. Only moments before the triumphal procession commenced, a lone figure rushed into the sanctuary through a side door and planted himself next to me. He jumped like a snake-bit cowboy when he glanced over and realized he had chosen a seat at the hip of his ex-almost-fiancé. Howdy, Andrew, I whispered, waving awkwardly. Hey, Kate, he stuttered. I, uh, my parents are here somewhere, but I got off work late and... The entrance of the first bridesmaid cut him short. Our awkward encounter was mercifully muted by the procession, then the rest of the wedding. When the final bridal couple exited with their plastered-on grins, Andrew wasted no time standing up himself. I'll see you at the reception, I guess, he whispered. 
I was about to tell him I looked forward to it, but he whirled about and left before I had the chance, melting into the afternoon heat through the same side door he had entered. Moments after his departure, I spotted his parents in the stop-and-go traffic crawling along the center aisle. There was, however, one glaring omission. No Angela Martinez. Until then, I had assumed she was sitting with his parents and waiting for her tardy boyfriend to join her. The truth was that she hadn't come to the wedding at all. A flood of old desires broke forcefully and unexpectedly through the levees of my heart. Almost reflexively, I discovered myself wondering whether Andrew and I might get another chance at things. Images of the romantic reception pulsed through my mind's eye like the scenes of a rom-com. Unable to help myself, I daydreamed of a dance, a reconciling conversation, a kiss. As soon as I caught myself, I pushed the fantasy away. My much smarter head reminded my dumbass heart that I had put the brakes on our relationship for a reason. Andrew was too domesticated, too safe. He was clingy and dramatic and incredibly codependent. Yet, even as my head educated my heart, I found all my old arguments falling flat. I had grown up plenty in the last few months. Maybe he had too. Perhaps we had both learned enough about ourselves to rekindle our former flame. Tonight, I thought, would be interesting. The bride and groom held their reception at a local country club. For the hour before dinner, I did little more than split time between two activities. Steal a glance at the front door for Andrew. Watch Mom and Gary googly-eye each other across the table. Steal a glance, googly-eyes. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When Andrew actually did enter, my stomach turned sour. I could practically hear my shattered fantasies raining down around me like shards of a broken mirror. For, laced delicately between Andrew's fingers, were those of Angela Martinez. I hated how glamorous they appeared together. There was no way I ever looked that good next to him. But, what I hated even more was the glittering engagement ring on her finger. Mom noticed it too. Always the mind reader, she put her arm around my shoulders and gave me a reassuring squeeze. I glanced back, offered a pathetic grin, and shrugged like it mattered no more to me than the Rockies losing one of their 162 games. Because, well, what else could I do? We had both moved on. The only difference was that Andrew had moved on to a fiancé and I had moved on to Franco's stinging rejection. I couldn't be mad at him because I knew there was no one to blame but myself. Still, it needled me to watch them dancing after the dinner, talking close, beaming at each other, immersed in their fully ripened love. The wine on my tongue only added fuel to the fires of my envy. Eventually, I could stand the spectacle no longer. It's too hot in here, I told Mom, who was taking a break from dancing with Gary while he used the restroom. I'm gonna cool off outside. The first hole of the golf course kept me company for almost an hour as I strolled it up and down. For some reason, the darkness comforted me. It was like I could hide my inner turmoil from the whole world, 
including myself. My eyes wandered up toward the stars while I walked, and I couldn't help but wonder where Franco was at that moment and what he was doing. I don't know why, but thinking about him eased the pain I felt about Andrew's engagement, while at the same time reopening a different set of wounds. There would be no winning for Kate, apparently, so I decided to leave the solitary darkness behind and rejoin the party. The moment I reached the front door, however, someone from inside threw it open and almost knocked me backward. Just as had happened at school back in May, that someone barging through the door was Andrew. This time, there was no Angela with him. We were alone. Kate, he exclaimed as he grabbed my elbow to steady me. Geez, I'm sorry. I've got to stop opening doors like the Hulk, or else I'm going to kill someone sooner or later. It's okay, I replied, flustered. Don't worry about it. He stared at me for a moment, then asked, So, what are you doing out here anyway? I chuckled, scratched at the corner of my eye, and said, I was just taking a walk, thinking. Andrew said nothing, simply kept staring, like he was waiting for more of my story. My typically stubborn self broke in an instant. Okay, I admit it. It's just a little hard to see you with her. And the engagement ring. Caught me off guard, I guess. His expression softened. I read true remorse on his face as he replied, Sorry if it feels like I'm throwing us in your face. We actually just got engaged yesterday. I suppose I should have realized I'd see you here at Sam's wedding, but I honestly didn't. No, I cut him off. No, you have nothing to explain, nothing to apologize for. It's just, I don't know. When you showed up to the wedding by yourself earlier, I started wondering if there might be a chance that... Well, it doesn't matter, I guess. Andrew kicked at a pebble on the cement and said, she had swim practice this afternoon. That's why Ange wasn't at the ceremony. An awkward silence followed. Unable to stand it any longer, and wanting nothing more than to escape, I muttered, I'm glad you found someone to give that ring to, Andrew. I hope you'll be happy. But there would be no escape for me. Not yet, anyway. Because Andrew raised an eyebrow and asked, what do you mean, that ring? I stared at my toes, embarrassed. That night in January, when I came back from Chile, I could tell you were going to propose, and I wasn't ready for it. That's why I panicked. Propose? He laughed lightly, perhaps a bit bitterly. Kate, I wasn't going to propose that night, and there certainly wasn't any ring. I bought Angela's two weeks ago. But I saw you. Thought I saw you, anyway, fiddling with something in your jacket pocket. And you were acting so nervous. And you were so insistent for us to go to that fancy restaurant. Sorry, I was a little out of sorts then. You'd been acting so distant, he explained. I was worried you were gonna break up with me. I wanted to make some kind of grand, stupid gesture with that fancy restaurant. That's all. And I was right, by the way, about you breaking up with me. I just wanted to pump the brakes a little, 
I exclaimed, perhaps too aggressively. You kept talking so much about the future, and I wasn't ready. I cut myself off and took a deep breath. Suddenly, and out of nowhere, a laugh escaped my lips. I gazed up into his kind face and said, It doesn't matter anymore, does it? It's all in the past. For what it's worth, I'm sorry I jumped to that conclusion and made so many assumptions. I should have been more open. And honest. That's something I've been working on lately. It's okay, Kate, he replied. Really, I let it go a long time ago. My face reflexively screwed itself into an expression of disbelief. Yeah? Just like that? I said with an accompanying snap of my fingers. After everything that happened, it was that easy? Andrew offered a passive shrug and answered, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was pretty mad at you for a while, but that day at school, when we traded our stuff back to each other, I guess I realized afterward that holding on to my anger wasn't helping. Not you, and certainly not me. So I decided to let it go. To forgive you, if there even was anything to forgive. Oh, there was, I squeaked, suddenly quite ashamed of myself. I was inconsiderate and impulsive and, well, horrible. But thank you. Thank you for telling me that. I needed to hear it. I've been pretty angry at myself recently for the way I treated you. Water under the bridge, he reassured me. Then, clearly eager to move the conversation toward an amicable conclusion, he added, Besides, everything worked out, didn't it? I guess I should actually thank you. If you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have found my future wife. Everything happened the way it was supposed to. Yes, I agreed, though with my lips only, not with my heart. I'm really happy for you, Aunt Angela. Thanks, he said, flashing me that million-dollar grin. Well, I better go get the car. I told Ange I'd pull it up so she wouldn't have to walk to the back of the parking lot. Sore feet. Heels. You know how it is. Yeah. Sure. Bye, Andrew. See ya, Kate. With that, Andrew disappeared into the darkness, and I returned to the warm lighting of the reception hall. The night went on. The party ended. We went home. Now here I am alone because of a stupid misunderstanding back in January. I didn't have all the information, and it ended in the fiery wreckage of my relationship with Andrew. But perhaps that misunderstanding only sped along a breakup that was inevitable anyway. I'd always had my doubts about Andrew being the one. In the end, my assumptions might have served to save a lot of time, both for me and for Andrew. But there's something else, something keeping me up, something which has led to me writing this long, drawn-out story late into the night. Maybe my misunderstanding with Andrew wasn't the only one that ended in disaster. What if, in Alaska, some version of the same thing happened again with Franco? Was there some missing information? Some hidden slice of either his life or mine? 
which in mere moments turned his eager kiss into that swift dismissal? I suppose I might never have satisfactory answers to those questions. There's a good chance I'll never even see Franco again. But tonight, I learned something from my conversation with Andrew. If I want clear answers, if I want the whole story, I can't live beneath the shadows of my assumptions. That road only leads to disaster. I have to ask. I have to open myself up to the possibility of even deeper rejection. I have to swallow my ego and my pride and my stubbornness by laying bare my innermost self to Franco and praying he'll do the same for me. I may not know where he is, but I do have a phone number and an email address. Tomorrow, I will hold my bleeding heart out before him. I will let him choose whether to take it as his own or refuse it. That's all I can do. That's all I have left. Whatever happens afterward, I'll be proud of myself for taking the leap. And somehow, I know you'll be proud of me too. Love, you're done with assumptions, little girl. Kate July 18th 2023. Dear Dad, it's been two days. No answer from Franco. I guess that's what you get sometimes. I sent him a long email. I tried calling him twice. Yesterday, I even left a voicemail asking him to call me back. Nothing. Maybe he's still enjoying his Alaskan adventure. Maybe he's in the middle of nowhere, miles away from cell service. Or, maybe he wants nothing more to do with me. I still don't understand why, but maybe we aren't meant to understand everything that happens in this life. Whatever the case, I'm done sitting around the house moping. Sure, it sucks ass, but I can't let it defeat me. I'm gonna walk away from this, grab life by the balls, and soak up as much as I can. Tomorrow, I leave for Italy. I'm picking up the adventure you gave me, the one I almost abandoned in Alaska. I would like to think, even in the last few weeks, that I've learned something new. I've learned that I cannot attach my heart, my life, to a person. To do so is to give up all power over my happiness. I will instead hold on to these things myself. Then, as long as I have me, I will also have joy and purpose and wonder. And if someone, someday, comes along with whom I can share myself completely, the joy of self I already possess will only increase all the more. Maybe that's what you meant when you told me no one is fully independent. We don't need other people to be fulfilled and content. We can know and experience that self-satisfaction on our own. We are fully capable of basking in the light of our own lives' radiance. Yet, at the same time, we should never reject an opportunity to find company among the other brilliant stars surrounding us in our universe. Somehow, in this paradoxical way, a person's interdependence upon others works hand-in-hand with autonomy and self-sufficiency. That, I believe, may be life's recipe for a truly beautiful dance. Love, your pondering 
little girl, Kate. July 21st, 2023. Dear Dad, Holy frickin' crap! This place is cool! The area, the city, the hostel, everything. Other than my being tired as hell, that is. A rash of severe weather, stretching from London to Berlin, turned my overnight connections to Florence into a full day of unexpected layover in Paris. Instead of lazing about the airport, bitching about the cancellations like everyone else, I immersed myself as deeply as I could in the City of Lights. It was evening by the time I was finished visiting the Eiffel Tower, Arc de Triomphe, and Notre Dame Cathedral. Once back at Charles de Gaulle, I slept, if you can actually call it sleep, on a quiet corner of airport floor, and woke up to catch my early morning flight to the birthplace of the Italian Renaissance. After the plane was safely aground in Florence, I hopped a westbound train through the rolling fields and villages of Tuscany. It deposited me here, at this ancient city from a fairy tale, encircled completely by a wall so broad people have driven cars on top of it. I read that there's a walking path wrapping all the way around Luca, complete with plenty of benches to sit and stare at the golden landscape in silence. Once inside the city gates, I navigated myself along the narrow cobblestone streets toward my hostel. The ancient dwellings of Luca are so tightly packed around these roadways that they create a looming sense of claustrophobia. I guess I'm not used to feeling like a sardine. After getting lost in Luca's twisting pathways four different times, I managed to locate the hostel. The clerk who showed me to my private room explained how it was built 400 years ago and used to be a convent. He also shared rumors about it being haunted, but assured me most of the spirits here are friendly ones who protect the hostel's inhabitants. Though it does make a girl wonder what the few unfriendly ones might do to visitors. Since the next location you gave me is a ways outside of town, I'm going to wait until tomorrow to search for your letter. If it hasn't gone anywhere after all this time, I don't think one more night will make a difference. In the interim, I'm going to score myself a genuine Italian pizza, select a bottle of Tuscany's finest local wine, and park my ass somewhere on top of the city wall. There, I will watch the sun sink down below the golden hills. I can't think of anything better. Love, your reborn little girl, Kate. July 22nd, 2023. Dear Dad, Where do I begin telling the story that's unfolded over the past day? From the moment I ended my previous letter? From the inaugural bite of gooey, cheesy, wondrousness known as Italian pizza? From the first drop of intoxicating wine that hit my lips? from the surprise that lifted me higher than the Renaissance walls of this town ever could, or from the defeat that buried me lower than their foundations. How about I start on the downer note, then backpedal to the uplifting one? I'm sorry, Dad, but I didn't find your letter today. I never will. It's gone. I must have followed that road, the Via Per Camerone, for three miles, before I realized your landmark was no longer there. 
Even early on, I could sense something wasn't right. When you hid your letter, the area north of town must have been rural territory, dotted with quaint Tuscan farmsteads and their stone fences, like those I saw from the train. Now, twenty years later, the first mile or so north of town has become much more developed. Modern Italy, it seems, has no more use for ancient boundary fences. To double-check, I made use of a GPS app on my phone. I know you gave me your GPS to use, but you need to get with the times, Dad. We use phones for literally everything in 2023. Sure enough, where your entombed letter once waited, there now stands a gas station with convenience store, a metal and concrete monument to the supremacy of the present and the death of the past. Undoubtedly, some crude piece of construction machinery snatched away your letter and carried it to a dump far away from here. The legendary legacy of my father destroyed by humanity's corporate needs. Truth be told, I'm surprised I made it this far. It was only a matter of time before my luck ran off, carrying one of your letters in hand. I admit I had become hopeful. With only a couple left, I thought I might beat the odds. I hope you didn't have, like, buried treasure waiting for me at the end, because now the chain is broken. The game is up. The journey is over. Or, maybe in another sense, it has only just begun. If you let me rewind to yesterday, I can explain what I mean. After I finished writing my letter to you, I did exactly as planned. At a tiny table, set upon the cobblestone courtyard outside a cafe, I gorged myself on pizza. Then I bought a fancy bottle of rich purple vino from a wine depot across the plaza. On top of the Great Wall of Luca, I found a westward-facing bench, sheltered beneath the rustling leaves of a poplar tree. I watched, breathless, as the retiring sun turned the backdrop of rolling hills into a masterpiece of molten bronze and fiery amber and deep gold. That was when a voice behind me spoke my name. Siculation seized my heart, as if a hand were grabbing and squeezing it. I stood, turned, saw him, Franco, in the flesh, in Luca. Constantly cool and confident, he was more nervous than I had ever seen him. What? How? What are you doing here? How did you... Your mother told me you were coming here, Franco explained. He stepped awkwardly forward until within reach of me. And yet, he did not reach for me. But how did you find her? I demanded. Her number was in my phone, he said. Remember? You used it to call her at the Denali Visitor Center. When I saw your email, when I heard your message, I knew I had to find you. I had to tell you. Tell me what? I asked when he trailed off. Part of me was ecstatic to see him. Another part was guarded and untrusting. He sighed and said, Everything. Then, come, sit with me, I replied, and parked myself again on the bench. Watch the sun. Franco did, 
sweet aromas of fresh soap and newly laundered clothes greeted me. He had obviously taken the time to spruce himself up before his quest to find me. Yet, it was the earthy scent of Franco himself, buried beneath the artificial ones, that set me at ease. It instilled in me a warm sort of comfort, like curling up beneath a pile of cozy blankets on a drizzly autumn afternoon. So, what do you need to tell me? I asked after half a minute of his hesitation. If he wanted to stall or back down, I wasn't going to let him. I... I have a daughter, Kate. That strangled sensation around my heart tightened. If Franco had been wondering what revelation might shock me more than his sudden presence in Luca, he'd found a winner. Still, I said nothing. He clearly had more to share. I was married once, he went on, though not for long. We were only nineteen, Elena and I. We knew each other and loved each other since we were only twelve years old. Even when I spent my exchange year going to school in California, we continued together, sending long emails and video chatting as often as we could. We were going to spend our lives together. That's why it made sense to get married after high school. Franco paused. He was willing himself the courage to proceed with his confession. For a few seconds, he stared distantly into the indigo sky above the Tuscan hills. Then he turned his gaze at me. This seemed to supply the strength he needed to go on, so he said, We were so poor, Kate. I wanted to give her a better life. That's why I became involved in some illegal activities. One of my childhood friends had an uncle involved in the cocaine business, so I went to work for him. I grabbed his arm firmly, interrupting his story. The pain in his eyes was as real as if he'd been stabbed. You don't need to go on with this. Anything you don't want to tell me, you don't have to, Franco. But he shook his head and replied, No, I need you to know who I am. Okay, I sighed. I wasn't sure I wanted to hear more. Elena always thought I was working extra shifts at my construction job, Franco continued. I was working there, yes, but for a few hours in the late afternoon, I was working my other job, too. The whole time I told myself that I would never personally use what I was selling. I would reap all the benefits and none of the destruction. But soon, I found out how hard it is to be part of something without sinking deeper into it. Before I knew what I was doing, I had started using. I convinced myself it would just happen here and there, only little bits, to relieve the stress and anxiety that come with working an illegal enterprise. Of course, that is not how such things work. My usage grew and grew. Elena knew something was different about me, but she didn't know what. At least, not for a while. Then, she became pregnant. When she told me, 
I promised myself I was done with the drugs. For three weeks I managed to stay clean, but the hooks were already set too deep inside me, and I fell back into it. The new pressures of fatherhood, of knowing I would soon have another mouth to feed and care for, it was so much weighed on me. One night I came home, wasted far beyond anything ever before. That was when Elena knew for certain. We fought, first with only our words. But then I... Franco's voice failed him then, as if swept away by the flood of tears now cascading down his cheeks. He buried his head in his hands, composed himself, wiped his eyes dry, and went on. Then I started fighting with my hands. I hit her. Hard. Just once. But it was enough. Immediately I came to myself. But the damage was done. Irreversible. I begged her forgiveness. She begged me to leave. She said if I didn't, she would call the police. That was her mercy for me. I stayed out of prison in exchange for staying out of her life. Franco, I have never even seen my daughter, he said, ignoring me. My Maria. Elena has sent me a few pictures and videos over the years, out of pity more than anything but I have never heard her laugh with my own ears. I have never kissed her round, beautiful face. I have never held her hand while crossing the street. She is seven years old now. Elena remarried a few months ago, so my daughter has a new papa named Ronaldo. He has adopted her, and even though so much time has passed, even though I have never seen her with my own two eyes. I love her more than anything. Franco choked up again. This time, he didn't try to collect himself before saying, I'll never be her father, her protector, because she must stay protected from me. And that is a pain I cannot bear. It is a pain I have been running from for the last seven years. That is why I became a park ranger, far, far away from my hometown. I had loved my family's vacation to the Torres so much as a child. I wanted to protect something I loved. Maybe then I could forget the damage I caused. I desired so badly to escape the shadow of the life I had lost, the life I destroyed. Staring directly into me, he said, It is why. When you kissed me, I pushed you away. I have never been able to protect the people I love. They have always needed protection from me. So how can I be for you, Kate, what I failed to be for all the others? That is the answer to the question you asked me in the hospital. That is the reason why I cannot be with you. Do you understand? When finished, he buried his face in his hands. For a moment, I gazed out at the plum-tinted hills below the darkening sky. I'd always figured Franco had something unpleasant to hide. As long as I'd known him, he'd been guarded about his past. I did not, however, expect anything quite like this. My stomach sickened. 
revulsion began crawling up my throat. Then, just as quickly, it fell away. As the memory of a conversation, not even a full week fermented, spread from conscious thought to my heart. My breast and throat and cheeks flushed with a familiar warmth. Andrew's words of forgiveness had calmed the raging voice of guilt inside me. Although I had not been the victim of Franco's confessed transgressions, I now had the duty to give him something of what Andrew had given me. Franco, I said softly, tenderly, as I gently pried his fingers from his face and held it in my own. What you told me wasn't completely true. A minute ago, you said you needed me to know who you are. But that man you just described, he isn't who you are. He's who you were. There's a difference. Still, he would not meet my gaze. Like words on a page, I read shame and self-loathing in his face. Since he wouldn't speak, I went on and said, You did something bad. Really bad. He cocked his head and furrowed his brow, as if silently saying, No shit, Nancy Drew. But we've all done bad things, I went on, wiping away one of his tears with my thumb. Look, I'm not saying Elena will ever forgive you, or even that she should. But maybe, instead of everyone sitting around, pointing fingers, grading others as worse people than themselves, like there's some kind of cosmic moral curve they'll get to the front of, what we really need from each other is understanding, and compassion, and forgiveness. Because we all need another chance. You would give me this? Franco was blinking away tears, staring at me with hopeful disbelief. Somebody has to, I exclaimed with a grin, and I want to be your somebody. With that, I pulled him in for a kiss. This time, he did not pull away. I don't know how long it went on. For all I know, time might have stopped in that Tuscan paradise. Eventually, though, our lips did break apart. As I stared into those chocolatey Chilean eyes, only inches from mine, I said, But if you ever think about hurting me, I promise I will kill you understand? You already tried once in Alaska, he replied. I have no doubts you could do it again. Like a kid whose hand is in the cookie jar when mom rounds the corner, my eyes shot open. Now it was my turn for a slice of shame and embarrassment pie. Franco chuckled and said, yes, I know about the aspirin. I overheard the nurses in the hospital making jokes about you. I'm so sorry, were the only words I could find. I fumbled to gather a few more, but Franco held up a hand to stop me. Let's assume we have both learned from our mistakes, he reassured me, his tone that of a man making a solemn oath. I will only ever love you, Kate. Good. I kissed him again. And, don't worry, I already threw the rest of the aspirin away. Don't think I'll be able to look at another bottle for the rest of my life. There was another kiss, longer, deeper, fuller than any before it. 
I hoped it would never end. But I guess everyone has to come up for air sometime. Once we finally had, Franco brushed a strand of blonde hair from my forehead and asked, So, where do you go next? I shrugged and replied, I don't know. I haven't gone to find Dad's letter yet. Based on what I read in Washington, though, I do know there's only one more stop after Luca. He pressed my hand firmly between his own, kissed me, and said, You must finish this on your own. I cannot come with you. I raised an eyebrow. Why not? I mean, you came all this way. Like I said at the Torres, this is between a father and his daughter. As for me, I have my own father-daughter issue to take care of back home. You gave me a second chance. Maybe Elena will give me a second chance to become a father to my little girl. He must have noticed the flash of concern betrayed by my expression because he added, I promise you, I will be with you when this is all over. For good. Elena is my past. You are my present and you are my future. My heart filled with wonder as I whispered, Can't wait, Franco. He left me this morning. Right now he's traveling to his hometown, praying that Elena will give him another chance. Not the chance that the two of them will get back together, but another chance to see his daughter and to be her dad. I pray she gives him that opportunity. Whether she does or doesn't, he has promised to visit me once my own journey is over. And that journey's end appears to be right now. I'll enjoy another evening here, letterless, with another pizza and another bottle of wine, watching another sunset from Luca's sturdy walls. It'll be the celebration of my defeat, I guess. Then, in the morning, I will pack my bags and return to Colorado. Maybe someone else will stumble across your buried treasure someday. When they do, I hope they'll find in your letter a degree of the warmth and joy that I found in them. Damn, this really does suck. But there ain't much I can do about it now, except graciously accept my defeat. I better fire off a quick email to Mom. She'll want to know I'm heading home tomorrow. Then, pizza and wine. At least your letters led me to those treasures. Love your soundly defeated little girl, Kate. July 23rd, 2023 Dear Dad, My heart aches to leave this wonderful place. Yet, here on the plane, after reflecting on my journeys, I realize I have to give you a compliment. You really did choose places I'll love and remember for the rest of my life, even if I never return to them. It's almost as if you knew exactly who I would become and hand-picked the places you were sure would resonate with me. I do wish I could have seen the end of the trail you blazed for me, though now I realize it would have only been a milestone and not the finish line. You see, you've planted the seeds of adventure deep down inside me. Even if this leg of our journey together is over, I'll continue to do what you did. I'll carry on your legacy. Yes, I may be back in Colorado tomorrow, 
But now I know I can actually make this big wide world my home. And don't worry, I still have a few pages left to keep writing about those adventures. You didn't think you were getting away from me that easily, did you? Until then, know that wherever I am, I love you. Even though I'm sure you have a bajillion mind-blowing things to do up there, I hope you'll still take some time out of eternity to watch over your cuddles. She finally realizes just how much she needs you. Love, your forever grateful little girl, Kate.